Hello, my name is Athena Kablenu. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, and I've got a podcast. And I'm a parent too, and I've got a podcast because being a parent is great, but um, my children can't speak. Actually, I've been doing this podcast for so long, the the uh, the eldest can speak now. And she's... <laughs> it's, someone's doing the washing up. I said, don't, uh, I'm going to talk to Athena from one. Don't go in the kitchen. And Owen's immediately decided to just go in yeah, the kitchen and start. That's, the morning. Okay, then. Oh, he's having a tantrum now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this to be the first couple I've, I've, I've led asunder. Oh, that was a door slam, Amy. I know, he just, done the, he just slammed his door. I said, we, but his argument forget. is it's three minutes till one. Okay, forget, forget the podcast intro. Let's lean into this. <laughs> Okay, we've just witnessed a bit of what we would call a domestic in a mini tanty. Okay. I call okay. it mini tanties. But you have to. I'm. I'm. I live with my with my fella. Um, I think it was what, the clicking. I think when I sort of like, I forgot that I was. I clicked at him like, stop, stop what you're doing. And he was like, don't click at me because like uh, that's he clicks at me sometimes. Like when he goes like this, like we're doing a thing. So he works in tech. So he's like, we're doing, and I'm like, don't click at me. So you knew that clicking would antagonize him, but no, you clicked I, I, anyway. No, it's just that you were talking, so I didn't want to go, Oi, shut, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh, so how, how will you resolve this now? How, you, how will you make up and be as explicit as you want to be? You know, um, uh, I'll go into his <laughs> office and I'll say, how's your sulk? How's it going? How's your mentality? <laughs> and he'll go, it's fine. And then I'll take the piss out of him until he laughs. Himself. Oh, that's good. What we, what I'm just trying to think. What me and my partner do after we have an argument, um, we just kind of, we kind of, uh, it will be like, "Oh, we enjoy evening," and I'll go, "No," and I'll go off and I'll eat ice cream, <laughs> and I'll go, "I'll go off. I'm going. I'm playing piano now." <laughs> <laughs> we'll have and we'll have a mini enforced separate and a mini enforced separation for like maybe twenty or forty minutes, and then we'll go downstairs again and watch Marvel. Um, I'm so fascinated by your relationship. <laughs> Having read your script of sort of basically how you guys it's got not, together. Well, yeah, like the script is is kind of, um, so for people who don't know, I'm, uh, Amy's a comedian and a writer and we've been exchanging uh, drafts of, our, of pilots that we have. And I've got a pilot that's loosely, capital L, capital O-O-S, loose, I don't know how you spell loosely, but it's loosely based on my experience of having a child with somebody very quickly. Um <laughs> And it's a bit mad. But the sitcom has changed now completely to what you've seen. Uh, and I've not written the changed version because I'm, I've been busy. I've been busy and lazy at the same time. I don't um, think you've been busy and lazy. Well, I, you keep popping up on Instagram where you're popping up on telly and you're also popping <laughs> kids out. So you're quite busy. I don't think the lazy is in there. Yeah, but you know what? What I do, which is very naughty, is when I have free time, I justify spending my free time on nothing because I'm like, oh, I've done... I, I I was on mock the week yesterday, so I'm doing fuck all for a week. <laughs> it's like, but I, no, there's stuff to do, right? I still have to work on this script. So, because if I don't write it, it's not going to get written. So, oh, FYI, if you have any more panel shows where it, that's all improvised, but you need a page of jokes for things, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the first person I go to. Oh, um, awesome! Yeah. yeah, this is the great thing with all your mates start uh, doing loads of TV stuff. You can go. Hey, do you want any help with that stuff that's meant to be improvised? <laughs> well, <Ruining showbiz. laughs> but literally, like you look at the credits and it says written by, and you see twenty names. Because I've that was what I did. I used to write for other comics that did panel shows. So when I went on them, I was like, 
great. There's a there's a lot of writing you've got to do, man. On I'm probably pulling the curtains back a bit for people who don't know, but it's a half hour show, but you're sat in a studio for almost four hours recording it. Yeah. There's a that's a lot of jokes you gotta you gotta get out there. Like on every topic you gotta say so much. Um yeah, so it's, it's tricky and just like we're p- learning the kind of rhythm of those sorts of shows. Like, mm. I, I mean, from all my, my mates who have done them and just like some, you can get really lucky with the comics that you put on who are like really supportive and, you know, sort of setting you up, knocking things up in the air and batting back and forth like a, a good rally. And sometimes yeah. you just get like people who are damaged but very talented <laughs> and don't want anyone else to succeed. <laughs> There's there's definitely a, a mentality of um, in all kind of TV and radio work, which is panel based, which some people can adopt, which is I'm here to make people laugh by myself. And um, and I don't know what you lot are here for your decoration. Um, and it's uh, not pleasant. But I think also that's because a lot of panel shows were set up to kind of um, they were set up by men for men. And that was very much the mentality, that whole kind of I've got the biggest dick in the room kind of mentality and now that like, I guess they've opened out a bit and they've let us on you know that I, that that's how, I mean I don't know because I'm not a man I wonder if that's how men talk to each other like they sort of slap each other down and give each other shit and whereas I don't know I don't know because I only like hang out with comedians and we just give each other shit the whole time so I don't yeah. know <laughs> I think it's I think it's more that when that environment is created the men don't complain they just buy into it so it's, I think, I think most men, I mean, I know guys and I think they have very loving relationships with each other. Do you know what I mean? It's not like guys get together and they're like, they, they're constantly competing. But I think when that environment exists, they, they feel like they have to play into it rather than challenge it. Whereas we are like, uh, this is really toxic. <laughs> like we don't like it. Whereas guys are more, more inclined to kind of rise up to it and be like, oh, actually, oh God, I've, this is how it works. This is how it works. Incidentally though, um, do you know what's different? I do a lot of regional work. So I do a show in Wales and I do, they called The Leak and I do a show in Scotland called um, Breaking the News. Completely different atmosphere. So different. In fact, it's a joy to do those, to do those shows. They're radio shows as it happens. Sometimes Breaking the News is on TV. Oh yeah, I, do, I didn't such know The Leak still going. I've done it's The still Leak going. Back, in, back in the it's, day. The crack's good on The Leak, you know. I do look forward to the, the Leak shows. <laughs> so funny, like one of the, I'm making something at the moment over here and uh one of the old producers from the leak, like one of the old guy, like production staff, he's now over in LA. Yeah. His name's Jackson. He's lovely. And I, I noticed he was in LA on Twitter and I was like, Jackson, come and work on this with me. Cause like, he's just brilliant. <laughs> I met him on the leak. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, isn't it, I, I, I was speaking to some people. So I did the BBC comedy room and they asked me back to do a talk and I was like, you what? And they're like, just come and talk to people. Uh, but anyway, and I said to them, it's not, sadly what you know is who you know even though what you know is so important you do need to get yourself out there and meet lots of people and that's a great example like you went from the leak to LA <laughs> it's an, well, who would have thought so it funny. like I was people were talking to me about uh like uh all uh all the people I do in comedy are doing really well and I was like sort of doing a I'm in an R about something in a contract the other day so I just was able to like shoot a text off to a bunch of people to ask a bunch of people who are writing on big shows, like, should I have this sticking? Should I be have this sticking point about this thing in the contract? And they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like if they try and say this, try and, you know, stuff that yeah. I just, uh, you think, oh, should I reach out to people? Because sometimes you feel it's really hard with like writing projects and show busy stuff. Because like, so like only like 10% of stuff comes to fruition. So you don't want to be like, constantly asking people 
and mm. then no work actually happening so then you just look like a knobhead but like there's you've got to get that balance right between oh I need advice about how to do this thing that I've never done before and not get screwed over so yeah it's a tricky I'm balance, very bad at asking for help I very rarely do it I don't like to bother people I like to figure stuff out on my own I, no um, I've really got to get out of that like it's sort of yeah I mean yeah you really is tricky I know exactly what you mean you don't want to seem like you're a pest but actually it's the people who just are asking people all the time or asking for what they want get where they want to go you know honestly I've noticed a real consistency between people who aren't afraid to ask for help like people who ask me people who come out the blue and just be like I think like someone asked me today for help for about um, buying a bike because I know loads about bikes and I thought I'd never ask anyone who knew loads about something there for their advice not because I don't need it but something just there's like a barrier that stops me from from um, leaning on people this is how bad I am at asking for help I was in the kitchen the other day and um, my eldest wanted a drink or something something that meant I needed to unscrew a bottle but I was holding my youngest and my partner was in the room rather than saying our eldest wants a drink get it went into the kitchen, took out the fridge with holding a baby, tried to unscrew it, couldn't do it because it was too tight, tried to unscrew it with my teeth and he was standing there the whole time. And he was like, Athena, you just could have asked me. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) it didn't. And I'm there trying to like, trying not to drop the baby, you know? And I just thought, I I guess so, but it never occurred to me. Um, I probably need therapy to understand why it doesn't occur to me to get assistance in life. Um, One of the arguments that... uh me like me and my husband have is like he'll stand there and watch me struggle with something but not offer to help and I go well don't offer to help then and he goes oh sorry <laughs> like the other like the other night we'd come in and like the dog was going nuts because there's been fireworks and we'd left him in for six hours <laughs> got out to dinner and then my husband was just lying on the bed and the dog was peeing everywhere and I'm freaking out and jumping in the bath he jumps in the bath really scared and yeah. I was like cleaning up pee going well, don't help me then. <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. Not, not, and I think like somebody who was like a relationship counselor would say, why didn't you just ask for help? And I did. I said, I obliged. Go, but you didn't say, <laughs> I said, don't help me then. <laughs> that wasn't ask. It was more like you useless Passive fuck. Aggress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get off the fucking bed. <laughs> I, think, I think I've given up on the asking. I like the asking where I go, can you help me do this? Now I'm more like, I really wish you would just notice. <laughs> <laughs> but and I understand yeah and I understand your reflex that. is to throw a cloak <laughs> over a puddle so I don't get my feet wet you know but that's yeah no I understand that there's some things that I would like to be done proactively and sometimes I think if you're not going to do it proactively don't do it at all you yeah. know what I mean? if you're not going to do it off of your own off of your own back then I can't be bothered I'll do it myself I think a lot of that comes from um yeah that I'm very aware that I have that mentality um and also I'm I'm very I've got this obsession. It's, it is an obsession. I've got an obsession with being self-sufficient. And that probably comes from um, just like a childhood of having to do a lot for myself and have to take, having a lot of responsibility quite early on. Not like low. They didn't, I didn't like have seven children when I was 16. Well, nothing how, like that. You, you've got brothers and sisters, yeah? I've got brothers, but um, what, what I was always expected to probably do a bit more around the house, for example. So I was always... Because I've got an Indian family. So the Indian mentality is, is very much like boys are boys, but girls work, you know. Um, so I was always kind of doing all that kind of stuff. So that so my mentality was, if, if I'm hungry, I'll make something for myself to eat. It was never like, mum, mum, I'm hungry. It was always, I'll deal with it. Because that's how I was taught. Whereas my brothers perhaps had a slightly different experience. So I come from that um, kind of 
psycho- oh, psychological background, so right? irritating. I, <laughs> yeah, I find it really annoying when, I don't know, as we said, I don't know if we'll end up having children, but I hope I don't raise useless ones. You know that thing <laughs> where, like, you go to university and you realise, like, there's a bunch of people who don't cook for themselves, have never made themselves a meal, or I just haven't done their laundry, and they just, like, arrive in university and they're just smelly and undernourished. Yeah, I know. I and what's I, going on? And I definitely felt a little bit, um, now I look back and I think it's not their fault. They've not been taught, but you do think you can't, you can't wash up. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't iron, you can't cook. This is really, this is really odd. Like how do you, how, how were you ever expected to survive? Yeah, I hope I don't raise useless children. So I'm always like trying to get, I've got a toddler now. So I'm always trying to get her to, to kind of, you know, be, even if it's simple stuff, like get your pajamas off the radiator. Do you know what I mean? Okay, now, now put your now, toys in the box. All that exactly. Sort of we have tidy up time, and 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 we play lots of like real life games. Like she makes pancakes with her little pancake toys and all this kind of stuff. Um, so she has no imagination. <laughs> she just <laughs> her games are real. Now we mop the floor. Good girl. So how long have you have you been married for? Because I'm living in sin. So how, how long have you been married for? Oh, we've been married for, we've been together like five or six years and we got married in uh, October of 2018. So like two and a half years. And did you get married in, because you moved from London to San Francisco. So did you get married in San Francisco? No, we got married to, basically, um, (laughs) my, my now husband got offered a job over here and I was thinking, and we was like, oh, I just wear, you know, I am where I am in comedy. Uh should I go over to America and do comedy over there and see how that goes? You know what I mean? And he, it was like sort of a, a good career jump for him over here. So we were just kind of getting all the paperwork together. And then we were just looking at like artist visas and stuff. And all, and I, we were just like, fucking hell, it's easier if we get married. <laughs> <laughs> the practical. Like we, we were sort of on that path anyway. Like we met when we were older the relationship was going really well. It was like a, it's so weird when you, it's so weird how relationships begin, isn't it? Like, even though we've just begun our podcast with a little Barney, <laughs> but like, we don't look like we kind of, we're not a very dramatic couple and we get on really well. So it's like, well, this is probably, go, this is going towards marriage anyway. It's probably, let's get there a bit sooner. I love it. You got married for admin. <laughs> we got married for admin. We got married because we were like, and like it's worth twenty thousand dollars to get this type of visa and then ha- uh, you know whereas if you're married they would just fly me over there and put me on his health insurance and all that kind of stuff was it like green card did you have to prove you're married did you have to like take lots of pictures of you pretending to be on ski holidays and things like oh, that this is so funny so actually when we went to the consulate to get our visa if we went from ireland like the last step because we went and spent some time in ireland before with owen's parents before we like flew over uh because we spent christmas with them and we had to like make a wedding like uh a wedding album of when we got married (laughs) in london so we put this wedding album together and then my husband's got like just like just like a typical thing like i've said don't make a noise when i do a podcast he starts unloading the dishwasher like two weeks before (laughs) so i was saying like something to do with the paperwork i was like don't unstaple it or staple it because you you know they take all the paperwork out and they give it back to you when you go for these visa things and he was like stapling it or unstapling it and then we were having an argument I was like you just he's just gonna make you redo that all again (laughs) all the paperwork to prove that we're married and I think like the immigration officer was just looking at us bickering going yeah they're married you're married (laughs) yeah 
we bickered over stapling. <laughs> That's the surefire sign you're with your life partner. Like I'm with you for life. Oh my god, it's it's. I'm like, um, it's weird because uh, my um, my other husband older than me, and uh, he's kind of been there, done it already. And I'm like, you know, I have this joke where I'm not used to seeing guys during the week. <laughs> <laughs> I see them on Friday to Sunday and I kick them out of my flat. Um, so it's really, it's a really different, it's a different mentality and you, there's nowhere to hide. So if you're in a bad mood, normally if you're in a bad mood, I'd just stay in my flat or I would have stayed in my flat and no one would have to see me. But now it's like, he knows I have bad moods. Everyone thinks I'm amazing, but he knows the truth. You know, like he knows, like he knows what I'm like in the morning. Like, yeah, 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 everyone's grumpy in the morning, but I'm really grumpy and he knows. Like one day he's going to do like an expose. He's going to be like the cook report. <laughs> he's just gonna do like he's got all my dirt um, and that's very weird because no one's ever known me like that before it's and that's so, very exposing to me yeah I just tell my husband like I'm grumpy today I'm in a mood mm. I just tell him I go I'm grumpy or I go yeah I'm getting my period so watch out yeah <laughs> like don't wind me up or I can lose I'm gonna lose my temper really easily <laughs> and I guess yeah the other weird thing is because of circumstances the circumstances that that joined us he's only really known me as pregnant or breastfeeding <laughs> so he hasn't really oh, known he hasn't known you mental <laughs> exactly he's never and perhaps perhaps we neither of us really appreciate appreciate what that what that has done in terms of what he knows about me uh, and I'm sure he's probably observed that that I'm probably different around other people than I'm around him, not because I find him really boring and I find other people amazing, but because around him, I'm literally always pregnant or mother and a small child. You know what I mean? Whereas with my friends or, or my family, it's it's the slight, it's like the old Athena, you know, but he's got the new, not improved Athena. He's got like the kind of the slightly <laughs> the used version. Athena. Yeah, he's got the used car version, you know, that's been dented. It's a cut and shut. Basically, <laughs> quite literally had C-sections. Um and that's difficult. So it might be like, it, you know, it might be another, I mean, the new one's six months now. So maybe once he's off the breast, then I'm, and I'm starting to get back to my old ways. I was on my bike the other day and I'm starting to work more. Don't, um, get, don't get accidentally pregnant again. Oh, listen, the, the fi- I swear to God, I missed the pool the other day. When I say it was almost separate beds, I was like, don't come near me. Don't come near me for seven days. You cannot touch. We're not even holding hands, mate. You can edit this out of the podcast, but get an IUD, man. They're so good. I don't, I've never liked the idea of having something physically, you know, in me. Like, I've never liked that idea. I think I've got, it's a mental block that I've got with that. So but, good. You don't get yeah. pains anymore either. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, you. Uh, well, I was, funny enough, because I missed this pool, I was like thinking I need to do something else because I can't. You know, and the busier you are, the more the more you miss them because you're just busy. You just even when you've got the reminder on your phone, and I'm like, I just need something that I'd have to think about. So, I mean, what's happening in America? Was there a significant change in the temperature of America when Trump left? Was it like, oh, like the birds are singing again? Yeah, man, it's been mad because, like, I can. I'm not sure if I told you this, but like. We were out in, I was out in the garden, like picking up some dog poop. And then suddenly there were people just scream, people were screaming, like someone, our next one, they ran out of the garden, screaming their heads off. And I was thinking, what the fuck? And then everyone just started screaming across San Francisco and horns started going. And I think, and I, like my husband thought I'd hit myself in the garden. So he ran out into the garden, go, you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I was like, I think, I, I think Biden's won. <laughs> and then I ran in to check the news. Um, and then it's been quite weird because uh, there's because there's kind of been a sort of deplatforming of Trump and a sort of media blackout on him. 
So a lot of the channels that spread misinformation, they're being sued now by like Dominion or people they've told lies about. There's lots of libels on them. So I think a lot of them are afraid to have Trump back on because he would repeat those lies and then they could get sued again. And so he's off Facebook, he's off Twitter. He set up his own website, but it wasn't very, didn't have good content on it and it wasn't being updated and didn't have any traffic. So they eventually took that down. He's having to send press releases to people like it's the 1950s. <laughs> and then they read them five days later after the news thing has passed. So um, it's really, it's been a really nice shift from him just not always being in the news, doing or saying something insane or like unhelpful or that's a complete lie. Mm. And that's been really nice. And yeah, it's it has completely, it did feel very apocryphal when he, he was in power because it, it was just so strange. Like, where are we going? Where is this going? What is this about? And also that he's st- still, a lot of people voted for him. So there's still like half of America, still 75 million people voted for him. So still 75 mm. million people who were buying into, I'm not quite sure what it is they think he's selling, but they're, they're buying into it nonetheless. So that's interesting. It is. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that there's that statistic where Joe Biden got the most votes out of any what, any candidate in history, but yeah. Trump got the second <laughs> out of most out of any candidates in history. So it, it it's not something to celebrate almost. I didn't feel like Biden's victory was something to hugely celebrate because, okay, you had to mobilize that many people because so many more people like Trump, like, thank God he got that many votes because, mm-hmm. which is scary to me because it just means in the next cycle, there'll just be a new Trump. They'll just get someone else who um who isn't uh oh well actually well to be fair that i, I mean I, I haven't been following the republican party too much but that whole the sex question planning has, has been really poor because of the way trump ran the party so i, I they're not going to have cruz or rubio again but um because they're tarnished as well but it'll be interesting to understand whether trump runs again or, or it's kanye west who knows um I think Trump, it's more likely Trump's be in prison before he can have the opportunity wouldn't, to run again. Wouldn't that be incredible? Because this, I thought Trump would win. I genuinely thought he'd get a second term, okay, because I've got no faith in people. I think people are just trash um, and I think that they they can't be trusted and they like the status quo. So it would be, I would eat that humble pie, I'll eat that hat, I'll eat whatever I've got to do to eat those words. I'll, but it's like, how does he become president in, how does a system allow him to become president, but also how that same system puts him in jail? You know, it's such an odd place, America. It's so odd. It's wild. I, I, uh, you know, I'm making a documentary about all of this. Did I tell you that? Yeah, you told me, and I was like, no, you told me you're making docu- a documentary about the riots, uh, the um, the kind of white supremacist kind of invading the capital. Is that part of the same thing? Uh, we made a, a short doc for Channel Four News called "Meet the QAnon Shaman." I'll send it to you. Right. And we, following a bunch of people down in Arizona, like the hardcore Trump supporters. And then one of the people we were following and had loads of interviews with is Jake Angeli, who's the QAnon shaman. And then, so when he went and stormed the Capitol. Um, yes, Alex, that's what you told me, yes. Alex, who's the DP, was like, should we sell some of this footage? I was like, yeah, you can absolutely sell it and make loads of money, but you should try and make make something in your own voice and then sell it to a news channel, which is what we did. We made a short dog. It was really funny making that because like, working with Alex is like a longtime friend and collaborator of mine and he was initially doing the voiceover he was like and he's like got this really downbeat sort of northern accent very talented photographer and filmmaker but talks like this (laughs) so he was doing all the voiceover for it um 
uh, and he was going, suddenly the burdens. And it sounded hysterically funny. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck, I'm have, as the producer, I've really got to tell him, like, delicately, we've got to take him off the VO because it's, like, ruining the piece. And... Buy um, it, love. They've stolen the... Club. They've stolen the capital now. <laughs> and so he called me up and he was going, yeah, I really want to talk to you about my voiceover. I'm not sure it's working. I'm like, oh, God, thank God, it's terrible. Yeah, we've got to get rid of it. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was <laughs> And then we got Christian Gurush, or oh, I can't say his surname, you know, that guy who's on oh, the Christian Guru Murphy. Christian Guru Murphy, before I yeah. get his name wrong. Uh, he And then we were sort of editing it with him, and that was really funny because, like, it, you know, we're sort of try, like, we're trying, we were trying not to make a news piece that was like um, polemic, or uh, what we were trying to show is actually what the fuck is going on, basically. There are lots yeah. of really nice Trump supporters who are really nice people. And when you drill into the reasons why they're voting for Trump, some of them are legit, you know, they're not being served by the status quo. They're not being served by the Democrats. They're the left behind nation. Um, they wanted a disruptor, someone who came in and spoke their language. Like Trump made, you know, whatever you want to say about Trump, you can say a lot about him. He made politics really accessible for a lot of people who mm. didn't understand what was going on. And he's always been very consistent in his messaging about what he thinks about America's imperialist tendencies and what he thinks about globalization and how it doesn't serve people. And some of the things that he says are right. You know, it's not the way he's going about implementing policy doesn't really help America and isn't, isn't future proofing it. But he's, you know, he's speaking the language of a lot of people ignore you know you've got to ignore the racism and the white supremacy and all that other stuff that's going on which is so weird yeah I think and I've taught I speak a bit about when I talk about politics in this country I say it's, what's really weird is that people have these political opinions so they call themselves socialists or right-wing whatever but actually they have they don't know what their opinions are their opinions are all over the place and Trump is a really amazing example of that because his anti- globalization anti-imperial agenda is actually quite sort of left-wing you know like it yes. doesn't it's you know it's what? not what you'd expect him to believe and do you know what it's actually really interesting because we've been speaking to people on the far left and the far right to make this documentary and they actually want the same thing and it's that mm. classic thing of when like martin luther king was trying to unite uh, poor black america and poor white america and saying look these systems of oppression are keeping you both down you're more yeah. powerful together you should unite and then we could, you know, really bring about change. So then he got assassinated. So, um... <laughs> but, but that's the thing, isn't it? Because his message had efficacy. And once once yeah. once he started to become more convincing to people across the board, he he, he couldn't be permitted to, to tell that story. I often, this is, I'm not the first person to say this, but people, when people talk about politics as a line, that's not really the case. It's really a circle and the two extreme ends kind of meet. So fascism um, and um ultra hard communism or whatever you want to call the far left um they kind of meet <laughs> quite neatly like they're almost the same societies i'm turning 40 this year fuck how's it feel man honestly um it feels great and i think it feels great for two reasons i had a career change so I think if you're approaching 40 and you're stuck somewhere or you've been somewhere for a long time, you go through a, re- a re-evaluation of your life. Whereas mm. I've, I've literally, I, I stopped doing my day job November 2019. That was the last day of, of project management that I did. So I still feel 
makes you feel young again. You know, you don't have that. If, if, I, if I just had that, I'd be reflecting on the last 10, 15 years and I'd be like, oh, what's next? What's next? But now, because everything's still fledgling, I can concentrate on that. And the second thing is kids. It's very hard to feel like negative about the future when you've got these two amazing little, just little things. things. Yeah, it's very hard to feel like, oh, I'm so sad about getting old. You feel excited about them growing up. So that oh, excitement, nice. yeah, that excitement coupled with the fact that I'm still kind of, you know, on the kind of the base base camp of of the comedy mountain, so to speak, makes me feel really excited about. Uh, being, yeah, being I know what old. you mean. I had this yeah. thing where I was like, um, oh god, I'm gonna have to like stop being a comic and get a proper job again. And then that's been going on for the last year during COVID when we haven't been able to gig. And then I was like. I mean I've literally I've got no other skills I've been doing this so long now I've got some I can I'm a copywriter but even then I can't do any of the client management stuff I need someone to do that for me yeah (laughs) so it's like I haven't I mean I why would you stop doing something that you love because you think that you shouldn't or you should I don't know it's quite a weird thing to go through yeah, I think it, you have to pay your bills, you know. Uh, but that's why I kept my job for quite... So a lot of people were surprised that I was still... They would find out I was working and they'd be surprised. It's like, I'm not giving up my financial security for this for this game. Do you know what I mean? Like, no way. You know, so that, I would... Yeah. Uh, that story, sorry to interrupt about Rod Gilbert was still working in an office when he'd done Live at the Apollo. Um, um, yeah, I've, I think I've, I was listening to a radio show with Darren Harriet. Uh, I don't know if you met him, but he, he, was still, he said he was still working security when he did Live at the Apollo as well. You know, and I come, I find that highly relatable. I honestly do. I like, I think, yep. Like it's weird. Comedy is really weird where you go from these extremes where you earn very little doing what you do. And then the next day you get an offer and you earn loads. And because you've literally just gone from earning very little, you don't have that mentality of I'm rich. Do you know what I mean? Not that you become that rich, to be honest, but you don't have that mentality of, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the big time because yesterday you earned 60 quid for a middle, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah, okay. That's so funny. Of- I know what you would mean because I basically would be like, I'd be like, do it like gigging, living on my gig money. And then when I'd get a big thing that would pay something like a, a bit of a writing job or a big stint of work or like two months of gigs and then all that money came in, I go, right, I'll just pay off my credit card now. <laughs> and yeah. Zero. It's, and it, it, but it's funny. So you have these kind of these life extremes. I was trying to explain to my partner what it's what it's like to kind of because he, he just sees me work all the time. So he's just like, everything's fine. It's like, no, it's not because there's different kinds of work. There's a lot of work I still do for free. You know, so if to being busy doesn't mean you're making a lot of money. But similarly, you can do the easiest job in the world and you can get shitloads. Uh, so that mentality means that all that mentality that produces means, yeah, you probably will keep your day job um, until it becomes untenable, which is what happened to me in the end. So if it did, if I didn't get to a point where it wasn't practically possible, I would probably still have it. <laughs> um yeah it's so weird it's such a weird career to choose because like I always found that I'd have like career like highs and I just like for like a year just do lots of things say yes to everything and do loads of projects and have loads of sleepless nights and just drive myself crazy spinning loads of plates but then I'd pro- I would get something out of it and I think I, when I, we moved over here I was a bit burnt out because I was like well I just feel like I don't know what oomph is going to take me to the next level where I want to go over there and I was like getting on the mega bus and going up to Edinburgh for like 400 quid or something. And I was thinking, oh, well, am I in a bit of a rut? Should I just change things up? Well, will that do something interesting? And also that thing of like being a foreign comic who's already sort of quite well formed and quite good and then turning up in another country. I thought mm-hmm. I'd quite like to do that, actually. That'd be interesting to do. 
But can you talk about that? What What was it like going to San Francisco as a new comic, but not not a new comic? Um, it was. A- it, it was actually really good in the sense that I quite quick, I wasn't having to like prove myself or anything anymore because people were just like, yeah, you know, a couple of people vouched for me and I did some big shows when I arrived. So I didn't really have to do a lot of that kind of kissing ass or anything. And I was, you know, quickly like starting to make a bit of cash from it. And then I sort of went up to LA to talk to some agents and then the person I was talking to got furloughed and then the <laughs> COVID happened. So obviously I'll be going back up there uh, and then made friends with some comics. It's not as, um, I don't, I wouldn't say I've totally found my people yet in terms yeah. of comics out here. I feel like in the UK scene, it's really lovely. Cause like, even though, you know, I might not be super close friends with someone, we're still sort of tight in the way that we've known each other a really long time and we all know each other. And it's, uh, there's a lot of camaraderie there I think in the UK, when people start doing well, like people are really happy for people, you know, they're like, oh, good for them. Uh, over here, it's like that American thing is like everyone's a bit more competitive. But I think that there are like genuine people who just love comedy. And, yeah. I, and I think I've met a few of them already. And I feel I feel that it just take it might take me a bit a bit of a while to like find my groove over here where I slot in. But into uh, and also like what type of comedy I'm going to try and do and how is that going to work and there's a lot more work over here. There's a lot more writers' rooms. I'm not sure if I want to be a an American road comic. I'd much rather try and get myself into a writers' room. But I still love doing live comedy. You know, in the sense that like there are people who do in the UK like do Edinburgh shows, yeah, and do live shows and but you've never really seen them on the circuit you know they'll they'll have like really well received shows in edinburgh and they'll be writing stuff or popping up on radio 4 but they're not making their bread and butter from the circuit you know what what would you rather are you like a circuit person or would you rather be the edinburgh person i think over here i just because the the i'd rather be the edinburgh person over here because the circuit stuff is like it's. Uh, I think it's a bit. It's a bit grim being a circuit comic in the in, in the America. US. It's so vast, right? It's, it's so, so vast. vast. It's so yeah. like. Imagine how lonely it is in the UK. Imagine that loneliness times by a hundred, but oh, in a, a weird place where you're worried about your safety in the middle of rural America. It's like less <laughs> pleasant. You know what I mean? Well, Jeannie Yatterway's got an autobiography out, and I can't wait to read it because that's kind of what she did. And it fascinates me because she obviously did it quite successfully. But there would have definitely. I think. I wonder if there were times. Because it took her years, and I wonder if there are times where she was thinking, "I don't like this decision at all." It doesn't feel like there is, there was, but that's exactly what you described. Like she just performed, performed, performed all over America. I think that would be like quite an interesting thing to do for a while. I mean, I've got to talk to John Hastings. He's doing. He's based in LA, and he Mm -hmm. has like, like two or he says about two weekends booked a month where he's not in LA, he's just out and he's making like doing a weekend somewhere and making a big handful of money, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's a good way to do it. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I've just, got to, I've just got to see what happens this next year with a couple of things I'm doing. I just like, I've just really enjoyed when we've been sort of doing writer's rooms together I think that's been so much fun. And I just wanted to ask you about your process because I found it so um, 
like really fun and easy to work with you because you're uh, and I found it really interesting because it's really interesting with I think this is one of the most difficult things to do when you're writing is finding people who um uh, giving the same sort of notes or like you'll say something about a script of mine and I'm like yeah I think that's a I think that's a weak point too <laughs> I gotta figure out how to fix that and I'm always worried about saying giving other people notes in case they think my notes are shit so I'm always like okay just take what you think is useful <laughs> and leave the rest yeah because I, I really liked your script idea and I was like oh you just gotta push this into something this is so rich this world you gotta push yeah. it into something else yeah I don't know what were your thoughts around that how have you found writing rooms and stuff well I, I I really enjoy writing I I am very fortunate because first of all when I wanted to when I decided right I want to do more scripted comedy um you know being a parent means I can't just be traveling I need to make comedy that I could that I to leave my house to make um I did a lot of study so I read it you know I read all the books and you know did as much research as I could and uh, you know read all the, the into the woods and all that stuff um, and then the second thing that happened to me that maybe we, we, that was really fortunate was I got into the comedy room. So I went to like a school of how to write. So it, it's, and then the third thing that happened to me was I got the Felix Dexterversary. So I went to another school, which taught me how to write. So what that did was it gave me a lot of confidence in, in terms of knowing what I don't know, but also what I do know about how to write a script. So when I give a note, I, it, it doesn't come from a place of, well, I just think this is shit. Why? Because I think so. It comes from a place of, no, 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 I've read about how, plots work and C plots and 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 having opposites and blah blah I can't even I can't think of anything at the moment. It's quite late in the for me. <laughs> the membrane is taking Yeah, no, but um you know like neutral this or or whatever. Like I just I just haven't I, I've kind of demystified the writing process, not to the point where I've got a commission, <laughs> but to the point where I can put I can write a script, you know, and so but I've enjoyed working with you because a I like your ideas um and like you can't I think with scripts you can't really polish a turd if a script's no good you can't give notes you can't say change this because you can only so they just don't stuff. understand how story and character works and precisely then yeah <laughs> this is what I say to people like you can't just like write nonsense and then make it good you have to really do the work and understand how how comedy works and how scripted comedy works and how a dialogue works and how character works and then you can go through the note process so because you know basically we're both great and that's why we can both. Do it. <laughs> this is it's really basically. funny because, like, I also <laughs> enlisted Chris Martin, who's actually had uh, some. I know Chris. Yeah, he's lovely, very talented. Yeah. Really, uh, really like him. Um, and he's over in LA with his wife, and so I, I, you know, was getting his advice on how to do stuff. And he gave me some really brilliant feedback. He was like, "Going, yeah, this is like a classic stand-up script. Like the stru- the structure needs to work." The structure and the A and B plot sort of need work, but uh, but the dialogue's amazing and fizzes along, and the characters are really good. But the story yeah. is like you need to sort out the structure. I'm like, yeah, so, uh, I am a. They say there's two types of writers: there's architects and there's gardeners. So architects are people like have like a superstructure in their head, and they sort of really good at structure, really good at bringing things together. And gardeners are like sort of people who tweak it all together like that and I'm definitely a gardener like I'll start with a character and an idea or maybe an idea for a funny scene and then I'll build it backwards yeah and then I'll zoom out and I'll go okay now let's really sort this structure out (laughs) (laughs) yeah what am I funny thing is I think I'm a gardener but I'm trying to become an architect so I'm doing I've literally I've put it in the bin and I've started again from scratch and I'm doing it from a much more structural 
a much more structural place. And I'm actually really enjoying that process when I'm doing it. At the moment, I'm not really doing it that, is that much at the moment. But that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming, and also I find it easier. I find it easier to have everything plotted out and I just fill in the gaps with dialogue. Um, otherwise, I'll, it will take me months to finish something. But if I, if I, um, uh, if I have the structure, then that works. So I recently got a commission to do an episode or something. Um, and that's why I had to write it because they gave me like a week to write the script. And I was like, oh my God. Um, so I, that's the only way I could do it. Have that, get my little record cards out and do scene one, scene two and do my scene by scene and all that stuff. And it's a horrible process. I don't, I don't enjoy that way of writing, but even though I don't enjoy it, I do find that it gives me, it's, it gives me my, my script a bit quicker. It delivers my script a bit more quickly than if I do it the other way around. Um, so I think you can change. I think you can become an architect. But being a gardener is great too. Oh, no, I think so. I think actually, I mean, like if you're naturally a gardener and then you sort of make an effort to retrain as an architect, it's good because I sometimes feel that when scripts are too plotted and too A to B to C, it just feels a bit like too formulaic and there's no character, there's no depth and there's no kind of decoration there, you know? So I think it's yeah. good to have a bit of both. But yeah, those are the things I was... I think that with sitcom... One thing I learned is like what that formula is what you're aiming for. You know, it's just, but you're right. You've got to hide it. So people don't go, oh, it's the classic C plot, you know, but like at the same time, if you can, if you can achieve that whole kind of three or five acts, A plot, B plot, C plot, blah, 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 all that crap. If you can achieve it, you do create something that just works. And now every time I watch comedy, it's very hard for me to enjoy. Do you, have you watched a, a program called Ghost? It's, a BBC, it's on the BBC, so you might not have caught it in America. You know, I like. Um, I did watch it, and I find uh, I don't. Know, I find that quite formulaic, sort of thing. Yeah, so that's and really I, formulaic. Yeah, and I find that quite difficult to enjoy because I can sort of, you know, when you're being plop, like sort of pointed in the direction. But that's a, that is like a classic, really like high concept thing that would get picked up in the UK like you can also you can it's almost like an amazing box tick like have you heard of that being human was in development for ages with the BBC no so being human these three characters were uh, and they were getting these notes back all the time the guy who wrote it and they were like notes back about differentiating the characters or giving them their own, their own drive or blah 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 and he went oh I, why don't I just make one of this werewolf one a vampire and one a ghost he, like said it jokingly and they were like do it <laughs> <laughs> and that was in response to like a I, th- I think that's true I'm not sure if it's true but it sounds really true because I, I remember yeah. write, writing something and saying they they wanted me to write a character in a certain way for a certain episode and I just came I said like the worst idea I could think of and they were like write it do it and, I'm like, <laughs> Fuck. and then that was the thing that ends up being on tv and I hated it but like so never never say in jest something that you think is shit because they'll undoubtedly go for it and think it's brilliant uh, on, on, that piece of, on, that, on that piece of advice i am gonna sadly wrap up this this chat i gotta end on a more positive note we've got to end on a more positive note say something nice about the commissioning environment in the united kingdom go it's finally <laughs> uh getting a bit more really diversified and they're putting different stories out there and, you know, they're aware that they, you know, they keep having these shock successes. Like, um, yeah. what's her face? Lovely redheaded comic who's a mate, just, just one of after. Oh, um, oh my gosh. Uh, Sophie Willan. Uh, Sophie Willan. I think. Oh, I no, think oh, oh, Rose. Rose Matafeo. It was one no, of no, the two. No, no, so, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie Willan. 
Okay. Oh, Rosemary won one as well. But like, I think she was telling the story about how the some BBC commissioners came to see like a version of her Edinburgh show, and they were just a bit like, "Oh, but who's going to be interested in a story about a woman growing up in care?" And it's all you know that kind of, that sort of feedback she got, and it's like lots of people because not everyone is a middle aged white man who is privately educated, you dickhead. And so it's like so Tracy Beaker is one of the most popular kids shows out there, and that's about care home and the dumping ground. So you might not be aware of this, but there were like these two children shows that are like the biggest children's shows on the planet, or in the UK at least, and they're huge. Oh yeah, like, Tracy Beaker, I yeah. did. Yeah, Tracy Beaker, and like they're they're, they're like the best selling books, like. Like they, these are stories that people care about. Like they're not like. They're yeah, not, like, it's so weird. I think yeah. uh, like that, like getting stuff to. So I think that the commissioning process is becoming like a bit a more. Oh, I don't know. What's the right word? The, it's definitely like the diversity is included. They want to tell different types of stories, which is really good because that's. Mm. I think that's a great thing. So if you've got a weird story that you want to tell or you want to come at something from a different angle, then that's actually can you know as long as you can just get it over that hurdle. Right. Okay. So that's a good note for me. Make my story weirder. Not weirder. Yeah. Make one a ghost, one a werewolf, and one a vampire. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. I'm definitely going to be the vampire. And also hire me on your writing team. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're hired. You're hired. This is a a contractually binding podcast. You're hired. I'm not paying you though. I'm not paying you. It's just going to work. I could get paid in crisps and drink tokens again. Chris, Chris, drink tokens and pogs. Um, and pogs. Yeah. Um, Amy, it has been a pleasure. Uh, it, is just, um, it is just incredibly uh, saddening to me that you are not here in my house for me to fry your plantain and make you coffee. But one day we'll meet I again. think I'm back in September. So hold the plantain. I'll be coming oh, over. Come back and meet the kids. You'll have a great day. Yeah, definitely. Oh, awesome. Link me in September. That sounds fantastic. Um, enjoy your <laughs> Enjoy your day. Go make, go and have some makeup sex now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it is mid forties, so you know we got yeah. <laughs> you got to coax it out of him now. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever you, whatever you're gonna do to make up for the for the clicking, you do what you got to do, girl. Um, just make sure you turn the camera off, yeah, because I can see everything right now. So. Okay, cool. We'll do. We'll do All right. But thank All you right. for coming <laughs> to keep my company. Thank you. Oh, lovely mm-hmm. to see you. Sweet Take sweet it easy. That was the fantastic Amy Hawerska. Amy, thank you for coming on to my podcast once again. Amy is such a lovely, warm, open <laughs> and fantastic soul that she enables you to talk about anything with her, literally anything. I never thought I would mention IUD contraception on a podcast, but here we are talking about it on a podcast. So so thank you, Amy, for that. If you want to catch up with what Amy is doing. Oh, I should mention that um, I didn't give her the proper introduction because we were interrupted by her partner doing the washing up. But Amy is a stand-up, a comedy writer, um, a wonderful comedian, an incredibly funny person. So you need to follow her on Instagram and Twitter um, and get to know her and what she's doing. She's based in America at the moment. Um, so you can't catch her live unfortunately but she's working on some lovely projects um, and she does have that documentary out which I will link to in the description of this podcast right guys thank you for getting to the end of this episode it's always appreciated if you liked it give it a comment give it a share give it a like do what you do with podcasts that you enjoy my name is Athena Venue. I'm a stand-up and a writer and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and come say hello if you would like thank you for listening and we'll catch up next time